Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Question me, Rose. Run for your life. Fatality. I'm Batman. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Back in 2017, the team at Ominous Press brought us the original Beast of the Black Hand, a horror adventure graphic novel based on an idea by Paul Harding, set in the waning days of World War I and filled with plenty of supernatural action. And they did it by smashing their goals in a successfully funded Kickstarter project. Now, the creative team is back for more horror, espionage, and diesel-powered adventure. Beast of the Black Hand writer and friend of the show, Ron Mars, joined us to talk about volume two of the multi-part epic, Beasts of the Black Hand, The Viking League. We chatted about many things, including how Ominous Press manages to get its Kickstarter projects consistently funded, what amazing new perks are on offer for this volume two project, and how sometimes the best names you can come up with for characters are the ones based on real life people. We pass this over to the diva for her rating. Franku, what did the diva have to say? The diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it... Completely salt-free. Thank you kindly to both Franku and the diva for that rating. Before we fully get underway, a reminder of the Fueled by Death cast, produced by the team at Death Wish Coffee, the world's strongest coffee. Fueled by Death is a show that asks the question, what fuels you? Very similar in sentiment to how we do things here at Release the Geek. They have a bunch of great content, having conversations with astronauts, rock stars, authors, athletes, and more. Check it out at deathwishcoffee.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and be sure to tell them Release the Geek sent you. And now, without any further ado, please join me, Les Allen, as we release the geek with Ron Mars. And now, we're releasing the geek. I will aspire to veneers of professionalism. Sure. I'm going yeah, to aspire right. to it. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be better the second half of the interview because the death wish will kick in by then. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Free plugs. Free, free plugs all around. Um, all right. So back in 2017, Ominous Press successfully uh, met the goals for a graphic novel called Beast of the Black Hand. Uh, horror adventure tales set in the waning days of World War One, and an amazing aspect of it was that the the start of the story it finds itself in an actual historic location, and from there it then becomes this amazing horror adventure espionage diesel punk um, rollicking ride. Uh, there was a team, it's uh, the team of Paul Harding, Ron Mars, the inimitable Ron Mars, who I've got, uh, uh, who I'm allowed to speak to right now, now that he's coffeeed up. Uh, Matt Smith, Naraj Manoon, and uh, Sean Husfar. You guys came together and unleashed an, a world of otherworldly horrors on Europe. How did that feel, Ron? How, how did that make you feel that you were personally responsible there? Well, generally, in these days, I feel we've unleashed an otherworldly horror upon the world here in 2020. Um, hopefully we can do something about that in November. Mm -hmm. The very thin um, tentacles on the top of his head. Very yeah, thin, very fine. Yeah. 
wispy <laughs> cotton candy, like <laughs> as we like to say. Um, so yeah, so Beast One was you know kind of a labor of love that you do with your buddies. It, it's mm-hmm. you know it was Paul Harding's idea, uh, and he came up with the characters and the the setting and the the monster designs and all that kind of stuff. So he asked me to um, if I would be interested in writing it. Uh, and because Paul is a Paul is an artist and sculptor, sculpts for DC and Tweeterhead, and he's sideshow, Gentle Giant, Marvel Legends. He's sculpted for everybody, um, mm-hmm. and just does awesome work. And this really was a way for Paul to have an excuse to sculpt some cool monsters because he doesn't get to do monsters a whole lot. You know, he does a lot of you know superheroes and characters sure. and stuff like that. So so being able to do monsters was the real goal here um right so you know hey i've got this story here's all the here, here's all the pieces but i want to sculpt some monsters so we actually did like sculpture rewards in the first kickstarter campaign that is uh, something we, I'm, yeah there's something i'm going to touch on with uh, with the new one that some of those it, it it kind of from a from a writer's perspective it must be kind of easy when you've got somebody who can uh demonstrate to you visually what they've got in their mind please do this 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 and this did it make your job easier um well there was certainly that you know there was the skeleton of the story and i had to flesh it out and you know i had to put some you know put some flesh on the bones of the characters in terms of you know who they were and motivations um but yeah i mean it was certainly i was certainly not starting with a blank page which is what my job usually is sure um and then um you know, Paul, who lives half an hour from me, so we could, you know, get together for a beer. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the back in those hoary days in of, the before you know, times, when you, actually, we, when you could actually go get a beer. Right. Um, although here in here in New York State, we're actually we're actually starting to be able to do that again, as long as you do it outside. Are uh, you uh, saying you, you have a sec, uh, you have the veneer of a real life again? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I think everybody's very, you know, everybody's very cautious, but there's. You know, you can do some stuff. I'm, you know, my softball league has started again, and you yeah. know, so there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's the sort of the semblance of a, of a regular life. So sure. we'll see how that all shakes out. But um, uh, at the time, Matt Smith also lived very near us. He lived uh, like literally ten minutes from, from Paul Harding, and Matt mm-hmm. has since moved to Washington D.C. But it was really a case of you know just getting your friends together and, and uh, knocking out a comic book. Uh, right. Um, you know, thankfully we were doing it with Ominous, so we, you know, we knocked out a graphic novel and it's oversized and hardcover and, you know, mm. really lovely design and all that stuff. Um, mm. So, um, and the, the, you know, the, the, the vision then was certainly that we would do more. You know, this was the first chapter of a, of a longer saga. So now we're in the, in the, uh, the waning days of the campaign for the second volume. So mm-hmm. hopefully we can get over the top and um, get this one funded and uh, complete. You know, obviously we started on the started on the story. There's like ten pages up on the um, mm-hmm. up on the Kickstarter page. Um, so you know, the hope is that we can get this thing funded and um, do the ne- you know do the next volume, uh, right. finish off this batch and um, bring the story to not a conclusion, but the next, the next stopping point. Mm. The, the volume one ended off, uh, dare I say in an ominous note that while <laughs> the, the immediate, uh, the immediate threat was handled, Oswald and the team, uh, kind of know that there's, there's more coming. So 
you've you've segued quite nicely, as is a want, uh, writer's narrative, as is your want, segueing into uh, the Kickstarter for Volume Two. Uh, the first one very successful. You did mention that uh, one of the perks in the first one was Paul's sculptures, and they they're amazing. Uh, seeing those, I see in Volume Two with the Kickstarter that there's now a a bit more of a diesel punk. Uh, tech aspect in there as well. What is it about Ominous and the success that you have with Kickstarters? What are you finding are the key things that help make your key, Kickstarter successful? Um, you know, we've like everything we've everything we've done so far is funded, and it's been, um, you know, sometimes it's more of a struggle to drag it across the finish line than others. But um, I think generally. First and foremost, you got to have good material. You, know, you got to have good material and good good people um, attached to it. And then the the Kickstarter aspect itself is it's just a it's a daily grind. Um, and uh, they you know they have people far smarter than me uh, and far with far more ability that, that are really running the Kickstarters. Um, and I you know and I chip in as needed with uh, updates and text and mm -hmm. ideas and that kind of stuff. Um, sure. But, you know, I think sometimes people see Kickstarter as, oh, you know, you put up this page and money just fell out of the sky. It's work. I mean, you work for yeah. that money because it, it, you have to maintain that, um, maintain that campaign leading up to it. And then um, while the campaign is going on, it's, um, it's a daily grind. You know, you, you have to, uh, you have to get it in front of um, uh, as as many people as possible. Um, uh, I think I've, that's one of the, the key aspects that I found is that it's once you kind of lead people to the page, a lot of them tend to pledge. If they're interested enough to click on the page and mm -hmm. and see what you've got, you, you tend to get a pledge from them. The, so the real key is getting people to the page, getting people you know aware of it. Uh, right. And it's you know I, I think sometimes you're a little you're a little close to the uh, you can't see the forest for the trees. Um, so because you're, you know, tweeting it and putting it on Facebook and, you know, really kind of spreading the word via social media, um, you don't realize how many people that you never, you know, that never have any idea. So, you, right. you, you know, you're, you're three weeks into a campaign and somebody out of the blue says, Oh my God, when did this go up? I've never seen this. And I'm thinking, you know, you think to yourself, well, I've been chirping about this every day for the last three weeks. Where <laughs> you been? But it's just, it's the nature of the beast. So, you know, that, that rep, the repetition of here's what we're doing, here's where the page is, uh, I think is kind of the key to, um, to getting people engaged. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, th that's, that's, the, that's the first part of the work. Then you do the actual creative work. Then you do the book. And then you get the book printed. And then you get the mm. book fulfilled. So, it's a, you know, it's a process, but it is a, you know, it's a great way to be able to do the thing that you want to do in the way you want to do it. Um, sure. uh, the first volume of Beast of the Black Hand uh, is an oversized hardcover, you know, sort of uh, European album style, uh, because that's the way I wanted to do it. Um, right. That was, that was my notion of, all right, well, let's do a comic, but let's do it, you know, sort of big and lavish. Let's do the, let's do the deluxe package first. Mm -hmm. And and you know maybe down the road we'll do a trade paperback or single issues or something like that. Sure. But let's do, you know, let's kind of follow the the 
the traditional publishing model of here's the most expensive version first. Here's the nicest version first. And then, you know, you know, so you do your hardcover and then, you know, the, the paperback and then the mass market paperback and, and, you know, on down the chain, like traditional publishing. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, an array of talent lined up for this one as well. On top of the team, you, yourself, Matt, Naraj, Paul, etc. You've got uh, a varying cover from Tom Mandrake. You've got Rachel Stott there. You've got Eric Powell contributing as well. How much fun is it just opening up the doors and being able to collaborate with a whole bunch of really skilled people who all have similar but varied styles that, that really complement the theme of Beast of the Black Hand? How, how much fun is that? Um, that's, that's one of the, again, that's one of the real allures of doing your own thing because you can go, Hey, you know, you know, I love Rachel stuff. Let's get her to do a cover. And that's the only discussion you have to have about it. You know, there's no real editorial chain of command to go through. There's just like, Hey, how about, how about this person? And you know, if everybody on the team goes, yeah, that's a good idea. You just do it, you know? And then, so certainly in Rachel's case, I reached out and said, Hey, you want to, what's, you know, what's up with, what's up with your schedule? You got time to do this? She's like, Oh yeah, actually I'm, I'm in good shape. And we had the cover a week later, you know, it's so, oh, nice. um, stuff can happen. Stuff can happen fast in this guys. And, and it, you know, again, it's a, it's a way for you to work with your friends. Um, your friends who happen to be, you know, creators whose work you admire very much. Whoa. I'm not sure how I got here. But this is a really cool podcast. Well, while I'm here, I guess I'll introduce myself. I am the Incredible Jeff, the host of Fueled by Deathcast, the weekly podcast from the Deathwish Coffee Company. Each week, I get to talk with a special guest from rock stars to astronauts about what they do and what fuels their passion. Because we're all fueled by death. We want to leave this world a little different before we inevitably leave it for good. Follow Fueled by Deathcast on all social media and subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, or the Deathwish Coffee Company YouTube page. But for now, let's finish this awesome podcast. Sure. The uh, we mentioned that the ending of Volume One it uh, was a little precarious with a with a continuing threat. The Volume Two is Beasts of the Black Hand, with a particular reference to the Viking League. Now you did say that um, part of the part of the process of getting the Kickstarter pro- uh, project done is that you it's a continuing process. You don't have to have the finished product until such time as everything is completed. So you're still working on the story. The Viking League, fascist? Any particular narratives that might be relevant for today, or just are we just going to go full supernatural? I don't know if you've seen the news lately, Les. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, certainly the, the Viking League, there are, you know, there are some proto-fascists running around in our story, and it's not an accident. Um, you know, I don't I don't know that they're going to be carrying tiki torches, but... Oh, uh, yes, of course. You, you get the idea. I um, do. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the... Look, one of the things you can do in when you're telling these stories that are, you know, science fiction or fantasy or however you want to deem them, but you're still certainly commenting on the real world and what's going on around us right now. Um, and 
and the volume two is set mostly in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, so Germany in the twenties, obviously there was stuff going on. Um, obviously there were, there were real world people, um, some of whom might even get a, you know, cameo and a panel or two, um, running around in Germany doing stuff that, um, led to very, very tragic consequences. Um, and so certainly looking at not just America, but the rest of the world where, you know, there is a definitely a rise in, in sort of adherence to, uh, right-wing ideology and fascism and all that. So, um, it's not a political story in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, not a political story. There are monsters running around and sorcerers. Um, and oh, that's you know, giant, in history. Giant suits sure. of diesel armor. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that all that is all that is part of it. And and because this is this is historical in the sense that um, it's you know it's definitely based in in the, the time period. And and uh, most of the characters in the book are actually real people. Um, mm-hmm. Oswald Rayner, who's the who's the uh, sort of the British secret agent hero uh, of this thing, um, he's he's a real person. He's he's actually who they think killed Rasputin, um, which is how the first book of this thing opens up. With yeah, a that's not that, much of a spoiler. That one. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah, Rasputin dies um, eventually. Uh, uh, so yeah, so so that first scene is in fact plays out generally the way it's believed that the whole thing played out in the location mm-hmm. it played out in the room that Rasputin was assassinated in, and, you know, and the body is dumped into the river as he was historically. Um, so, you know, Oswald's a real person. Uh, Biffy Dunderdale, who is kind of his sidekick is a real person. He was fantastic. a fantastic. It's a fantastic well. name. I would have loved to have given you the credit for that, but real um, person, yeah. Biffy Dunderdale. Uh, well, when Paul initially presented this to me and he had, you know, he had his list of characters and stuff. And I was like, well, Hey, like we can't name that guy Oswald Rayner. Cause you know, I created Kyle Rayner and it would just look stupid. And he's like, but that was really his name. And I'm like, what? He's a real dude. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, we can't name a guy Biffy Dunderdale cause that's ridiculous. But that was his name. Um, so, so Biffy is actually one of the people that Ian Fleming is believed to have based James Bond on. So he's he's really, a yeah, James um, the the James Bond of Biffy Dunderdale. Biffy Dunderdale. Yeah, he was Biffy was apparently quite a badass. Uh, wow. So uh, so Biffy's a real person. Um, the American war hero Henry Johnson that's in the story mm-hmm. is a real person. He's actually he actually lived part of his life. Uh, in the Albany, New York area where I live. Um, so there is a Henry Johnson Boulevard that I pass oh. on a regular, on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. And at some point, I guess I'm going to, you know, pull off the highway and, and take a photo of the, the huge highway sign that says Henry Johnson Boulevard, just to, uh, you know, maybe we'll include it as an extra in the book or something like sure. that. Um, so yeah, most, most of the people in the, in volume one are real people. Um, a number of the people that are in volume two, same cast, but we had some cast members, uh, including, you know, a, essentially a German secret agent, um, uh, are real people. So, um, that's been one of the, one of the fun things about this is that we're taking these real people who were in fact, real heroes, um, mm-hmm. did, you know, you know, did, did their bit for, for, uh, you know, queen and country, um, mm-hmm. 
uh, and or you know for their you know for their nation in Henry's uh, in Henry's uh, uh, case, and um, then grafting these sort of you know heroic stories on top of all that stuff where mm-hmm. they're fighting monsters and you know mechanical battle suits. Yeah, it's not like that. There was a, a surplus of tentacles during the mid twenties in in Germany. Uh, we're gonna so, we're gonna have a bunch of those. We're gonna have lots we're of tentacles. Have metaphoric tentacles. We're gonna have real tentacles. Uh, the metaphoric tentacles might be a bit uh, a bit scarier. I think. Um, yeah, particularly you know, particularly where uh, <laughs> where this ends up, and hopefully we get to do more volumes of this and. Mm-hmm continue that story because obviously um, right now it's a World War One story. I'd, I'd like to, you know, keep this going and have it eventually turn into a World War II story. Mm. Well, it wouldn't, uh, I mean, the, I think the first volume ended 1919, 1920. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the first one ended um, at the end of 1919. The second one opens at the beginning of 1920. Okay. So we're just continuing straight on. There's no major time jumps in the story. No, we're we're uh, we're going to be in this time period for a little bit. All right, excellent. Uh, did mention the the amazing perks that helped uh, carry volume one over the line. Uh, volume two, it, Paul just seems to have pulled out all stops because there were sculpts in the first one as perks, and now there's just more, and they're amazing. Did he just go? Well, I'm just going to use this as a chance to make amazing stuff. Well, you know, yes. You know, the answer to all of the above is yes. Yes. Uh, he's really good at what he does. Sure. Um, and, he can, you know, he comes up with these designs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, 3D sculpts them. And then uh, for the rewards, we 3D print them. And uh, depending on the, you know, on the, what the reward is using a different, um, sometimes it's uh, clear resin, sometimes it's, a, you know, gray or white or, you know, mm-hmm. and it's 3D printed and polished and all that and placed in a, uh, in a lovely laser cut box. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. the presentation is really, really pretty cool. Um, and obviously these are, these are sort of one off. So it's, they're quite limited. I think we mm-hmm. I think the limit on the first campaign sculpt rewards was like 10, 10 a piece. Right. Um, and we've, so we've just got a few of those left and then uh, there's a new batch. Um, there's a new batch with this one. And I, and one of the rewards is um, a 3d uh, printing, file for the mechanical suit that's on yes. Paul's cover. Um, so you can actually, you can actually pledge and get, um, get that, uh, file and print your own mechanical, you know, your own mechanical suit statue. Right. There is an incredible tier, um, the ninth circle of hell tier where you actually can get an original sculpture from Paul himself of the character of your choice. So it doesn't have to be any of the monsters there or the, or the mech suit, you can pick Maria, you could pick Oswald, you could pick Biffy. Don't know why you would want to, but uh, when you've got some, some, some uh, more dramatic characters, um, that sort of tear, I'd immediately go for a uh, Grigori Rasputin with lots of, lots of tentacles, I'm sure. It, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the shame of it was cool to start off with the first issue. The first volume had the assassination of Rasputin play out. The only downside is, oh man, we killed Rasputin. He's four, pretty cool. Four issues. <laughs> the, you know, Mignola four, was four pages in. Yeah, yeah, Mignola was smart enough to keep Rasputin around uh, <laughs> and help him. 
we just we just yeah, just keep off. bringing him back. Um, but like as you know, as you just mentioned, we do have Maria Rasputin, who is you know who is his actual daughter. She's um, not bad in a, the uh, in the magic department either. A a real person um, who apparently worked as a lion tamer in Paris for a while. Like all of this, really, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you know, she was, you know, some sort of, you know, she was a mystic. She was she, she was a lion tamer. It's just like all of this crazy stuff that you find out about these people. Um, and, you know, in some ways, they're, you know, their real life stories are just as crazy as, you know, all the monster stuff that we're we're putting them through. How did was there anything about how Maria lived to um, lived with her father's legacy? Did it uh, did it overly impact or was did she try to escape that? From a from a from a real life perspective, um, I think she, you know, I think she was, you know, she didn't make any secret that she was Rasputin's daughter because it was it was a sellable commodity. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't believe she was bent on revenge as she is in our story, mm-hmm. um, but obviously she was she was a known you know a known personality in Europe and uh, traded on her name certainly, right? Uh, to you know to generate interest and audiences and all that. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, there's, a, there's a great photo of her in like her lion taming outfit, which was sort of this right. military, you know, odd kind of thing. That, and you're just going, this is, you know, like, this is the sort of thing you would make up and put in a comic. This isn't like the real, <laughs> like the real thing that we should be looking up on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she's, she's fascinating. All of these characters are just, you know, like we could sit down and do, um, uh, you know, graphic novels on their real lives because they were just just fascinating people that aren't terribly well known. I mean, I had I had no idea there was a real guy named Oswald Rayner. Yeah, I, I was actually going to give you prompts on the on the Biffy name because uh, that that was just. I'm sure it was like two a.m. and you just needed to get another page done. Who walks in? His name's Biffy. Biffy, <laughs> Biffy shows up. Um, well, for for a while working on working on the first volume. I didn't know Biffy was a real person. Right. Like I, I, you know, I eventually came to understand that Oswald was a real person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Paul just assumed that I knew that Biffy was real too. Right. But if somebody's name is Biffy Dunderdale, you don't assume they're a real person. You yeah. assume that's just made up and fake. It, um, it does seem like it comes from the, from the annals of fiction. Uh, so, you know, so, <laughs> You know, I had that light bulb moment of, oh, wait a minute. Like, this guy we've got running around the story is actually a real dude? You've got uh, uh, Nanjan uh, Jamberi as the colorist for this one. Um, uh, any particular reason for the changeover? Um, uh, Niraj, who is terrific, you know, mm-hmm. one of my favorite colors to work with, um, his schedule was looking pretty packed. Um, right. And Matt's Matt's window to do these pages is kind of nowish into the fall. Sure. Um, so we talked about it and Niraj said it might be better for him to, you know, not take this one on because he didn't want to end up delaying us um, right. from getting it finished and then getting it printed and into people's hands by, mm-hmm. by the end of the year or early next year. Um, so uh, Nanjan is our other go-to guy and he's done, uh, he's done a bunch of stuff for us. He did um, he did uh, Dread Gods, which we did through IDW. Yep. Um, and also did a Kickstarter for an you know oversized hardcover version collection of that. Um, 
Uh, and Nanjan has worked on, you know, any number of stuff, any number of things uh, with me. And um, he's, he's really terrific as well. Uh, and you know, consummate professional. He works in, he works out of Chennai. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Excellent. Yeah. I'm just uh, pouring through the, some of these amazing perks that Tom Mandrake cover. That is a thing of beauty. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you, you sort of assemble your your wish list and then see who might have might have a little bit of bandwidth in their schedule to knock you out sure. of cover. And thank Tom was Tom was like, oh yeah, I can I can do that right now. So mm-hmm. uh, again, you know, between asking Tom and getting Tom's cover in was about a week. Um, and it's also it's also very cool to just to see different artists interpret. Um, stuff that not that many people have drawn it's basically mm-hmm. matt and paul have drawn it we had some we had some uh variant covers for the first batch uh or for the first volume and that's really it so every, you know every new, every new person that comes into the mix is really um you know putting their individual spin on a thing that not that many people have drawn period sure at time of this recording we're recording this on the uh, the 5th of august which is the wednesday We've still got about a week to go. Is that correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. And things things are progressing well. Uh, there tends to be a, a solid push at the end as well, as people help yeah, make certain targets happen. The um, you know Kickstarters tend to be upside down bell curves. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of interest in the beginning because people are excited, and then mm-hmm. and then it's a daily grind in the middle, um, mm-hmm. and then towards the end, people go, "Oh, I got to get in on this before it ends." So. Um, you know, we've got a ways to go, but, uh, hopefully people will, uh, will chime in and, mm-hmm. uh, help us push it over the top. And then, um, and then we can, you know, chain Matt Smith to his, his drawing desk for, uh, <laughs> probably a good two months. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not like any well, of listen, us are if, going he, anywhere. if he stops, if he stops with those incredible pesky Twitter issues that he's dropping on a weekly basis, maybe you can. That Johnny um, Chaos. That Johnny Chaos was amazing. Uh, Johnny Chaos was terrific, and it, you know, if anybody doesn't know, Matt's been doing his own comic, uh, written, drawn, colored, and lettered by him. Um, he's been doing four pages a week. Um, he did thirteen chapters of, of a new thing called Johnny Chaos, uh, and he's he's doing a new one now called, I believe, Arch Nemesis, um, which is a really clever idea that just started about a, a superhero whose twin brother, um, or maybe he's not a twin, uh, whose brother is, you know, has designs on being his, his brother's arch nemesis. He wants to be the, he wants to be the Lex Luthor to his Superman's, to his brother's Superman, because he's really had enough of his brother lording it over him as a superhero. Right. Um, so th- these are just, you know, these are very, these are terrific things. And so this one will continue for a while. And then Matt's got another one he's going to do. So it's, it's every, every Wednesday um, in Matt's, uh, I believe his Facebook as well, mm-hmm. but his Twitter, um, his Patreon. And so he's just decided he's going to, you know, he's going to make his own comics and find a way to get them out there. Um, right one way or the other. Uh, and uh, so part of his schedule will be that, part of his schedule will be Beast of the Black Hand, and we're kicking around some other things that um, that he can be doing while he's doing his his own strips. Uh, sure. And hopefully we'll be able to 
um, give him a hand in getting the uh, getting the strips that he's doing uh, collected and published in a really nice volume, so that he's got a um, he's got a nice convention product for his mm. table um, when we're allowed to have conventions again. If if we behave, we can have conventions. If we behave for for my fellow countrymen, if we behave is a stretch. Uh, if we behave is a we haven't we haven't done it in six months. So I don't know why we mm. would start now. Well, it, it could be that New York State ends up becoming the only place in the entire country to have conventions. Just run Buffalo, it's, just run New York, just run upstate. It's um, it's not out of the question. I mean, it's it's a very different reality here in New York State and yeah. and in the Northeast in general, but I think very specifically in New York State because they had to get in front of the pandemic. Um, you know, it was very much out of control in New York City. Um, and they had to be fairly draconian with, you know, shutting down everything and and putting measures into place. So, mm. you know, in New York State, people are used to, okay, this is the way life is now. I think in much of the other country, much in the rest of the country, people don't want to admit that this is the reality and that you can't, you can't live your life as you did before. Um, so, you know, you can't go to a restaurant and sit inside. You can't go to a bar. Uh, right. You can't go to a movie theater or a gym or any of that stuff. I mean, my my gym is still closed. I haven't, I haven't been to the gym in, since early March, I think. Um, wow. And it's just, look, that's just the way it is. Um, mm. I, only, it, I only go to the gym for my protein shakes and uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, my protein shakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not even open here. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's uh, you know, because I think they they feel like it's not like that's going to be one of the more dangerous places because people are exerting themselves and, um, you know, exhaling droplets and that's going to lead to continued spread. Right. Um, in in my little town here in upstate New York, I I suspect that's probably not the problem, but you have to have, you know, you have to have measures in place for everybody, not just mm -hmm. places that are probably a little, little bit safer than, you know, midtown Manhattan. Right. So we do have a week to go, just over a week. Uh, I believe the cutoff time is probably midnight Thursday into Friday next week. Uh, I think the final time is the 12th of August. So there's still plenty of time, but you should not wait because there are some amazing pledge levels with very, very limited quantities on these. And uh, I'm jumping in as well. Uh, it's just a matter of, how many ritual sacrifices I have to go through to, to try and get to those upper levels. Uh, ritual sacrifices, so life imitates art. <laughs> well, I'm viewing, your, I'm viewing your work as a documentary more than a work of we, fiction. We, we will have some of those in volume two as well. Almost excellent. <laughs> uh, Ron Mars, thank you so much. We wish you all the best of luck. We will give you this video file and you can use it for your promotions for Beast of the Black Hand Volume 2. Uh, I really loved Volume 1. It was fantastic stuff. Yeah, and yeah, I cannot wait to see Volume 2. Thank you much. It's always a pleasure. Um, I, uh, I appreciate the support from you, from everybody for the campaign, and obviously everybody stay safe. Kappa, free! That was Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rotten command here. To contact the show, you can email us at releasethegeek, one word, at geekxp.co.za. 
Thanks for listening. I'll be back.